Welcome to Rocketship, the podcast where web developers learn the skills and secrets to ship awesome mobile apps. I'm Simon Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and today's guest is Aaron from Prague. Aaron is super interesting React Native expert, I would say. Uh, you're a senior front-end developer with focus on React Native, working for a very interesting company. And you also have a personal blog in which you share some uh, epic React Native tips. So uh, did I get everything right, Aaron? Yeah, pretty much. I, I see that you <laughs> didn't want to struggle with my family name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, but I mean, I'm from Germany. We don't have problems with that. It should be Aaron Bereskin. Yeah, you got to try it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> nice to meet you too. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have you on the podcast. So, um You work for a company called STRV. Um, to be honest, I never heard about it before, uh, but you've been quite, um, like you mentioned them quite often in your talks and in your articles. So you seem to be very happy about working for them. And this, I think, is something I don't always see in developers. Like, yeah, usually they, they like coding, but they're not always happy with what the company does. But in your case, it really sounds like you're happy and proud to work for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like a little bit about my journey. Basically, I switched career to become a developer uh, at the age of 30. Like before that, I was working in financial markets in London for Bloomberg, studying banking investments, you know, like all overall, like 10 years spent on this kind of site and then i decided to switch uh, to become a developer and strve you know they they were just organizing some workshops react nights mm -hmm. which kind of helped me basically to get up to speed with react and eventually i managed to persuade them after a test project to hire me so i'm very loyal, loyal and grateful to this company <laughs> you know because they gave me a chance to become a developer and they definitely invested a lot into my growth and also thanks to strv i got to work on some amazing projects and the company itself uh it's situated in prague it's a czech company uh, but it has very good presence in the us in los angeles in san francisco so our clients and when i say our i mean like strv yes but i'm just a developer there uh are mostly from the usa uh usually <laughs> startups and Yeah, the company has like cool offices, you know, many millennials kind of people like me, That's even cool. though we are getting older, you know, like when yeah. the average was like 27 when I joined, maybe now it's like 30 something people are having kids, weddings, and yeah. stuff, you know. But it's also kind of cool, like you're, you're, you're growing with the company and with your colleagues. Um, I mean... That's something I don't have. I'm now self-employed for seven years, I think. And I'm just like the lonely wolf doing my stuff here. And yeah, <laughs> I, I got my freedom and I can do whatever I want. But I definitely miss this, like just talking to some colleagues, just hanging out while waiting for the coffee and saying, hey, what are your kids doing? Oh, she's already four. Oh, cool. Um, that's definitely <laughs> some like benefits of being employed. Definitely. We have a gym, you know, like there is quite oh, a fitness nice. culture here. So people like exercise together. Love that. Love that. Uh, share some lifestyle tips. And in general, you know, like so many smart people. Uh, we have like very strong native mobile development departments. So as a React Native developer, having the opportunity to go to native developers and oh, yeah. ask them some questions, you know, like share some insights and then kind of say to yourself, uh, why we struggle so much in the React Native when they have it like 
all there in native or something like that. But sometimes but I, also vice versa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I heard that, that it's getting to a point where also like native iOS or Android developers looking at React Native and saying, oh, you're doing some cool thing. We would like to do that, that easy. <laughs> yeah, of course, like Swift UI, you know, like it's all as well motivated by React and mm -hmm. like our component structure. So they're catching up, they're catching up. But obviously React Native is special and uh, I'm a big fanboy. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into a lot more about React Native, some some tips and some opinions you had and uh, experiences with apps. Uh, before that, I just want to quickly circle back on your, your background. So you said you worked for Bloomberg in London for about 10 years, or at least you worked uh, for years, ten, yeah. 10 years in the financial market. Um, what, were, what were the final reasons for a change? Um, I think you've wrote a great P uh, article on your blog. I will put this in the show notes as well. But could you like give us the the condensed version of, of why did you switch to development? Condensed version, okay, I'll try. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, like in Bloomberg, we had like these huge Excel sheets of data uh, for analytics. And at the time, like Python started to be like the thing for data analytics, data science. So they really like pushed us to learn Python in Bloomberg. And this brought me to programming. Uh, I started to get something I wasn't getting from my job in financial world, you know, everything is so intangible, you do something, mm -hmm. you don't get any feedback, you know, maybe financial markets will tell you in two years if your investment was correct or not. Uh, and sometimes you put like 100% effort into something versus 10% effort, and the result is the same, you know, like there are so mm -hmm. many external factors. Uh, so in programming, I got exact opposite, I got like immediate feedback, you know, like, I can style a button, I can make it to do something, and I get the reward like immediately, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, like I like about programming, more effort you put, you get back more reward. You know, you, you are becoming a better developer. So for people who are used to putting 100% effort, pro programming is basically the best job. You know, like, <laughs> it's like a gym. You know, like more effort you put, more you get in return. And that's why the idea kind of came to me to become a programmer. And I had a flatmate who actually was a business major and. Via Udemy, he learned some programming, so I kind of followed his path. Mm -hmm. uh, like ten dollars, you know, for a tutorial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's a good deal. So I just did a full stack JavaScript bootcamp to know basically a tutorial to do to understand what I would like, and mm -hmm. I like the front end part obviously rather than back end kind of. Uh, and this way, I started uh, this master plan to become a developer. I kind of approached it like an investment. So like surround yourself with lots of information, oh, yeah. uh, podcasts, YouTube tutorials, medium articles, going to meetups where I didn't understand anything, <laughs> but I just tried like to piece the puzzle, like what I need to learn as a beginner to become employable and like in the future to, to have a good career. Because for the beginners, obviously, <laughs> these days it's even harder, I would say, there are so many frameworks, you know, like so yeah. many things to learn and you don't know what to bet on because, you know, like I was learning Gatsby at the beginning of my career and now probably I wouldn't use Gatsby anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wouldn't recommend such a great, basically, framework uh, like four years back. Uh, it probably still is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the whole landscape is very 
not not really beginner friendly anymore. I mean, JavaScript is beginner friendly, like writing it, it's it's not that hard. But once you dive deeper into everything, like it just opens up this huge picture of like front end and back end, and we have servers and we have cloud functions and we have everything and everything is just putting like like it's just out there and you need to connect the pieces together. Uh, and I'm I'm really happy that I started like. I don't know, wrote C++ code when I was 15 or something. So I was always in touch with code, sometimes more, sometimes less. But just being around for that long time, you, you just know what an API means, what REST means and, and, and these things. And it's not obvious to a beginner. Like you yes, came from a completely different background. So you started with a little bootcamp. Is that what you would also recommend to other people who are getting into coding? Um, by bootcamp, I mean the Udemy tutorial. It was mm-hmm. like a bootcamp. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understood that I mis- mispresented a bit. Um, yeah, 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 bootcamp, you know, you spend lots of money, so it depends if you are like, if you prefer being self-taught or if you need someone actually telling you like stuff. Uh, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of bootcamps. I understand they make sense for some people that need guidance. But I think it's a lot of money invested what you can get online from tutors, you know, on YouTube, from you, from others, uh, basically for the fragment of the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So you, you started with React, I, I guess, um, exactly. because that's that's the journey you took. <laughs> and um, you started with React for the web, right? Exactly, correct. Yeah, and in, in one of your posts, you, you had an interesting uh, a sentence that I took out of it uh, about the differences between React Native and, and web development. You said you actually lack the knowledge of what you're able to build with your skills. And I found this really interesting uh, and thought about this. So could you like explain what you, you meant with this coming from web development and then getting in touch with React Native and the yeah, differences? Yeah, like as a React developer, you're like so lucky. You can just go to React Native, you know, and it's very familiar. Basically, the only thing uh, you don't understand is the native APIs, you know, like what what you have access to and what you can do with React Native. You are not a mobile developer. On my first React Native project, I understood it straight away, you know, like <laughs> uh, scroll views, you know, like typical thing that like you don't have to deal with on the web. So or like putting like some padding on the container over scroll view, then your vertical indicator, you know, it's not at the edge of the screen, you know, like <laughs> it's something you are like learning for the first time as a web developer. And that made me realize, man, I, I just, I'm not a mobile developer, man. My colleague, he came from Android mobile development to React Native. So he had all this like mobile development knowledge uh, within himself. And I understood I have this deficit as a web developer. So basically, I understood the only thing I need to figure out is to understand like mobile applications a bit better. Um, one thing I did basically was reading the uh, from Apple Human Interface Guidelines. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, yeah, great source basically for mobile developers to kind of understand what the user experience should be. Uh, also from Google, the Material theme, you know. Material design, sorry. Yeah. Uh, they have good documentation on this topic as well. And they even have a part where they have like cross-platform uh, comparisons. You know, like the arrow on Android is diff- the back arrow on Android is different than on mm-hmm. iOS. Uh, ripple effect, obviously, you know, touchable opacity. Uh, so I understood I need to become, start to think more like a mobile developer rather than a web developer. Um, and... 
Mobin is also a good source of information. I don't know if you know Mobin. No. It's basically a service that does, they basically do screenshots of like very popular applications. Uh, and you can access basically screenshots of the mobile applications that are very popular. So, so that you understand the patterns, you know, like of the mobile design. And oh yeah, that's so perfect. On. Yeah. So basically I digged into this, try to become a bit more like a mobile developer because we as a React developers are really privileged. We can build mobile apps super easy, you know, mm -hmm. but some things we are just missing because <laughs> we don't know it. Yeah, I think this, this transition is interesting. I never thought about it, but at the time I was initially also a Swift developer or Objective-C Swift native developer. And then I came into like cross-platform apps. I started with Capacitor, Ionic and Cordova, um, and then came to React Native just basically just recently, just a year ago. I mean, I started actually, I had a very interesting video about it in like 2015, like is React Native the next big thing, which mm -hmm. is to this date still my most popular video. It's funny, like I have about 500 Angular videos and yeah, different yeah, yeah. topics, but that <laughs> one video is actually the most uh, popular. But anyway, yeah, I, I came from a native background and that was... I think that kind of helps to get into the right mindset because we at that time and my company had a client, for example, we work with Porsche, mm -hmm. which had a very high, like uh, they wanted the best quality. And if there was just the button was just one pixel off, they would notice it and tell us. Um, and you get a completely different eye. Like if you're building a website, yeah, you're putting this together and let's do a bit of flex here and a bit of flex there and just piece it together and make it look good. But um, in apps, you have like a lot less real estate and you really like try to piece everything together mm -hmm. in the best possible way. And this sometimes means really talking about pixels and, and yeah. like is, and you actually get like, we got an eye. I, I think I still got this. Like I can see if this is one or two pixels off just like from the height or the padding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, exactly. that, and that can really help. And I guess you, you, your colleagues in the native uh, development part are exactly like that as well, right? Yeah, yeah. By the way, Porsche is our client now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, back then we, we did something about like the manuals and like having a digital manual inside an app. I think the yeah, app was yeah. called Good Good to Know. I don't know if it's still available. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not working there anymore. I'm not working for them anymore. <laughs> it's a great client. Uh, but yeah, the one thing you mentioned is like um, mobile screen compared to like the whole web browser, you know, like I really like it because it helps you to like focus on like, let's say smaller footprint, you know, where things happen. So I feel like a mobile developer, you can maybe it helps you with the mindset a bit, you know, like there are not many pieces like that are. Uh, independent on, of each other. You have just like one screen, not that much real estate. You just make it good, this particular screen or the functionality, and then you move on to other screen. So I think mobile development is very good in this sense as well. I, I agree. And talking about moving on and technical stuff, uh, I want to get more into some some technical things about your applications. Um, I read your the first article I read was like a review you did about the year and I was shocked because you said, we're not using Expo. And I'm like, oh, Aaron has to be like the first person who says they are not using Expo and he doesn't like it. And then I continued reading. And then like one year later, yeah, and we were now adopting Expo. And then I read the next year and like, yeah, we're completely sold on Expo. <laughs> like like exactly. you made it completely 180 on Expo. Um, how the, did that happen? Totally. <laughs> uh, like going back uh, 2020, 
there was no EAS, there was no expo dev client, expo config plugins. So you could do expo managed workflow, but you were obviously limited with just whatever was like sandboxed in the environment. So for us, when we were building React Native application, we knew we cannot provide like the best experience for the clients, you know, like the customizability, having like some small bundle of the mobile application. So at the time, like Expo was a no-go like, <laughs> at STRV. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I was reading this article after myself as well. And then one year later, it wasn't our decision, this like project I started, Nutility. They bootstrapped the application in Expo, and it was the time when EAS and Expo Dev Client started to become a thing. So everything was very fresh. You know, there was just documentation, no other articles about it. Uh, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, it's, this looks <laughs> like we can give it a try. The client already started it, so let's begin. Uh, I went all in. I made it work. I joined the Expo Discord, you know, where many people were figuring out things for the first time. <laughs> uh, with the Expo config plugins. I wrote some articles about it as well. Yeah. Uh, and it worked. Uh, then my second colleague, he started a React Native project as well, basically used the similar setup I did basically uh, with Expo. And this template now lives on in STRE <laughs> and we are bootstrapping <laughs> all the project with Expo and it, it's just so perfect, yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, I think Expo as a company made some some really smart choices because I, I think that's the common a common theme I hear. Like 2020 uh, Expo, yeah, interesting, but not yet there. And now 2023, yeah, definitely start every project with with Expo. Um, also because like the whole eject thing, uh, mm -hmm. they got rid of that, and you get now the pre build and uh, everything else. So I think they they made some smart choices <laughs> about those. Yeah, totally. Not many people still know it. We were organizing this year uh, React Native meetups in Prague and Brno. And mm -hmm. I, I was mentioning like this shift to Expo and I could see the faces of people like, uh, what this guy is talking <laughs> about, you know? I tried Expo and it doesn't work, you know? Like, uh, so people still have to shift towards the Expo mindset. I really like it that uh, React Native kind of landscape is converging to one way how to do stuff. Before we were very fragmented, you know, STRV just doing React Native CLI, someone, you know, do it, doing tutorials in Expo. So the beginners, you know, they were confused, you know, I'm learning Expo, but I cannot really build a proper project with that. But these days it's converging, it's uniting, you know, everyone is on the same path and Okay, it's a bit risky, you know, like from monopolist <laughs> point of view, but it's working for for now. Yeah. It's it's a very rare case in the uh, whole React ecosystem that everyone agrees on on one path forward. <laughs> it's, it's super <laughs> rare. Like React Native community is such a great community. Welcome to the community, by the way. I'm so happy to have <laughs> you here. You. Uh, like people, you know, like they're just happy and grateful that they can build stuff with React Native. It's not like fighting Solid, Svelte, or Remix, mm -hmm, you know, Next.js. Mm -hmm. Like everyone, hey, I just created this animation. Have a look on Twitter. And everyone is like, wow, good job, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the React Native world, it's probably React Native versus Flutter or, or the other tools out there. But uh, I, I have the standpoint that all these tools serve a different purpose. And Flutter is great. I just this morning, I listened to a podcast from, from Infinite Red about the Flutter developer and um, mm -hmm. There are cool things about Flutter as well. I tried it as well. There are also cool things about just doing native development, like Swift That's UI right. also feels great. And uh, Android has, I think, what is it, Kotlin Multiview? Uh, 
Um, uh, multi, yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there's so many great solutions out there. And yeah, React Native is certainly one that emerged as probably the best solutions for cross-platform apps nowadays, if you just look at the uh, installation numbers. But still, that doesn't mean the rest is shit. It just means the rest serves a different purpose and probably some other niches or companies. Which brings me to the fact that you, which I found very interesting, um, gave a little uh, insight into how your company approaches new projects and how you select like the technology. I mean, in most cases, I guess you're using React Native or doing native development. I guess that's your uh, either or. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in terms of backends, uh, you had some some interesting things. I think you used once uh, AWS Amplify. In one project, you also used Firebase. Um, What's what's your uh, process like? How do you approach new projects, and how do you um, like do you not estimate but figure out the right technology stack for the client? Yeah. So from mobile point of view, uh, which I am probably the most like familiar with, um, we assess the projects like how much native functionality the projects need. Basically, that's that's the main <laughs> main thing. If you need some integration with Apple Watch or something, probably React Native is not your first choice. And we will try to like uh, push the client to the native development because there we know that we can like provide the best user experience. But but, be- but you could actually do it with React Native. Like you could have an extension. I am sure you can. I am sure you can do that. Um, but maybe like also <laughs> it's a bit like React Native is very strong in projects where you can use it efficiently to the maximum and uh, you can kind of easily recognize what projects will benefit the most you know you will save uh, some budget for the client you can make it more maintainable because you don't need the two native engineers Um, and you can build build it really fast you know like if react is just built for that Uh, but if we see a risk you know like where we could get stuck or we could have like uh, like building React Native where we need a native engineer to help us to implement something, that means that not, uh, I just need, you know, like a React Native developer and native developer. So mm-hmm. we are getting into like the same situation, like having yeah. like two native developers basically for each platform. And therefore, these projects usually go to native departments and React Native, uh, while at the beginning, there were mostly like easier applications with React Native built at STRV. These days, uh, in my last applications, we are like pushing React Native to its limit and building really complex applications with that. And yeah, it's working. Yeah, I, I guess that must feel really uh, great. And I've seen some of your applications. Um, you, you had an, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger application, a fitness app. You have the Bible app at uh, spot one. Um, th- did one of those applications stand out to you because it was like the a great experience developing with React Native or maybe which one was the most challenging? <laughs> yeah, like the backstory, uh, I mentioned the fitness culture at STRV. So our co-founders, our CEO, like they, they got in touch with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like <laughs> one day in our Slack, our CEO is like posting this picture with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> wearing STRV merchandise, you know. So we kind of knew something is cooking. Uh, I would never imagine I will be building like React Native for our Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but um, we built last summer the Pump. Uh, it's basically fitness application for uh, Arnold fans 
not only the people that want to do fitness, but also people who want to get motivated by Arnold. But mostly it's a fitness application with some fitness programs. Um, there we also yeah, try to use Amplify for that, but eventually we moved to like standard backend solution because we figured out we, it was very data heavy user journey experience. So we needed lots of custom logic. And with my colleague, like we were two of us building it over summer last year, uh, we moved to like standard backend solution and React Native on the front end. What is that? Uh, Note or Express or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we mostly do Note and some projects are now in Go as well. Um, okay. But that our main stack for backend is Node.js, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so talking about a project that stand out, obviously, like, uh, I felt like, come on, like, I'm building application for Arnold Schwarzenegger. There is not going to be anything better afterwards, <laughs> you know. So when my team leader, Daniel, came to me, like, in September, I, Aaron, we need to move you, you know, like uh, to lead React Native development for this Bible reader. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, because, you know, like for a Czech person, maybe Europeans, like Czechs are very agnostic to religion, so it's not a very strong topic for us. Uh, so mm -hmm. I was like, okay, but then I learned about the project and the technical challenges it had. Uh, so I was actually excited, uh, moved away from Arnold, my, my colleague kind of, <laughs> finish the job, like the last 10% of the application. Uh, and yeah, actually, Ascension, the application we just built, uh, Ascension Bible and Catechism is the full application name. Uh, it's a Bible reader. Basically, Ascension is a publisher of Catholic books and digital content. Mm -hmm. um, for people to understand, they have two podcasts, Bible in a Year, Catechism in a Year. And these podcasts are so popular in the US. Like, uh, they are at the level of Joe Rogan experience and Huberman's lab, you know, like really like they have a huge... They're even ahead of Huberman. I just see your screenshot. They're number two after Joe Rogan and position five and Huberman is just six. Oh, yeah. Andrew, my friend. <laughs> uh, it was at the beginning of the year, probably a dif bit different story now, but yeah, they have a huge following and basically as they have so much digital content, the client approached us, they want to unite all this digital content in a mobile application. Uh, so our first like technical challenge was, was like how to show Bible in a React Native <laughs> application, you know, and not only Bible, Catechism is like Catholic book as well. Uh, so like the easy solution is, hey, let's put it in a web view, mm -hmm. use something like EPUB.js, which yeah. will just show the whole EPUB. But unfortunately we needed some like custom styling also inserting some dynamic content, images, text, videos, audio after certain like paragraphs or verses. So we needed full control. And that's why we started this epic task of parsing the whole Bible into our data structure that would show as a like React Native application. Uh, so this was a really fun challenge. Uh, we pushed React Native, you know, because you are rendering it as list. So obviously lists are in React Native bit performance mm -hmm. uh, nemesis, I would say. So uh, we learned a lot on the way. 
Yeah, the the whole list thing is still something that fascinates me um, as like being new to React Native. I think like lists, come on, it can't be that hard. Just recycle your views and whatever. So initially I used scroll view. Then in some tutorial, I picked up a cool, the cool kids are using flat list. So I continued using flat list. And now in my last live stream, somebody told me, hey, Simon, why are you using flat list? You should use flesh list instead. Exactly. And I'm like, can we just end this? Like, what is, <laughs> what's the final solution to this? <laughs> do, do you have the final solution figured out? Yeah, it's the flash list, but we couldn't use it for the reader. And I will explain why. Like flash list obviously is recycling like the views. So you have maybe 16 cells and you just like uh, change the content of these cells. So it's really fast. It's very performant. It's very good for memory of the mobile applications. But one thing it doesn't do very well is basically scrolling to particle index mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Because it approximates where the particle index is, you know, it can do it if your cells are the same size. Yeah, you have this prop estimated item size, even though yeah. it's estimated yeah. item height. <laughs> it <can not. laughs> so if you have it consistent, it will find it correctly. But if it's inconsistent, like paragraphs, you know, in a book, basically it will just approximate and you can end up there or in few cases you will not, you know. And that's why we had to use Flatlist. Uh, and Flatlist can do this very well, like exact scroll to particle highlight, let's say, within a book. But what you have to do is take the index of that particular paragraph and render basically all the items in the Flatlist up until that point. Hmm. Because Flatlist has virtualization. Uh, so it still kind of renders, let's say, 16 items. And if you try to scroll to item number 25, you get callback on scroll failed or something. <laughs> so uh, you cannot do it. Yeah. So the only way to do it is to render, I think it's number of rendered items. You render all of it and then it knows where it is exactly. But if you render 200 paragraphs, man, that, that doesn't really work. You know, like you're losing all the virtualization, like optimizations. And uh, the memory footprint, which we had quite big because we are not rendering just text, but there are some HTMLs because mm -hmm. we have like, let's say, footnotes, references within paragraphs that we have to custom render, you know, or the, the word Lord has to be in italics or some specific style, you know. Yeah. So we needed to render HTML and React Native render HTML, amazing library, I recommend to everyone, but it creates lots of views. And it has b very bad effect on memory and performance in general. Um, so, so was like the whole Bible bundled with your application? Um, did you use like an asset bundle or something? Or uh, did you have all, like you said, they had qu like quite a lot of content. Is all of that in the app or are you streaming like the rest? Yeah, yeah. I will not go into details. Uh, there is some know-how into it, but basically it's within the application. So it's bundled mm -hmm. with it. Uh, which is nice because now the users, they have offline experience, both mm -hmm. for reading and searching uh, through the Bible and the catechism book. Uh, we considered backend, but like mobile is great when it's, you know, all offline. Mm -hmm. And given that the Bible will not change ever, <laughs> you can do that, you know, because if you put highlight on verse 23 and you save it to your backend, you know, this verse will be there, you know, yeah. forever. 
That's the <laughs> so one good thing. Only, only thanks to that, we knew that we can like put a, as a static asset into the application. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's fascinating. Um, also, I think you also said you're using uh, the AV. Uh, Expo AV, right? Controls. Expo uh, AV, React Native track player, actually, for the podcast. Uh, Expo AV, we couldn't use because it doesn't have uh, iOS audio lock, uh, lock screen controls. Uh, so if you like are listening to Spotify and you are on your lock screen, you can still like do some like progress tracking and skipping. Yeah. But with Expo AV, you cannot do it, which is such uh, a shame. Okay. Uh, but React Native Track Player is such a great audio library. It's currently in release candidate uh, V4, but it's quite stable. I really like the maintainers. They are very active. But unfortunately, in React Native, there was just a threat on Twitter. Like, the media libraries, they, they broke quite often. You know, like mm -hmm. the dependencies, the native dependencies, it's hard to maintain, I believe. It, it touches so many things in, in the, uh, like, mo mobile devices. Uh, so we kind of suffer in React Native that like all the kind of patches come to React Native a bit later, but overall it's a, I would say, good podcast experience for the users. So React Native track player, I definitely recommend. Did, did, uh, do you have to use a custom Expo dev client then, or does it, I guess yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, working? For sure. Uh, yeah. Like all our Expo applications, they are using dev client. We are using a bunch of config plugins, so basically making the native changes. Uh, we are config plugins. It's basically, I would say, impossible to use just plain managed workflow with Expo Go. Uh, it, it all makes sense to use the dev client. Yeah. I wonder, you as a, as a very serious company and doing some really heavy stuff with React Native, do you rely on the Expo EAS, like the build services and uh, all the the pipelines related to it, to publishing to the App Store, or are you doing it locally? Because in my background, so with Capacitor, you add like the native project into your web project, and then you can open Android Studio and Xcode and do your things. And I always felt comfortable in that environment because I think like th these tools, Xcode and Android Studio, they're not perfect, but you always have like the native version of what the native developers are doing and getting used to like doing an archive and submitting to Apple. It just feels like, yeah, I'm in control here. Um, so, so I wonder what, what a, like a reasonable size company is. How are you handling this? Yeah, my first project, this was the way kind of, uh, because there was no EAS. So I got hands dirty with all the certificates and credentials and <laughs> all this pain, which I disliked, but I'm Young grateful. people will never experience it. It was so <laughs> painful in the past. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but these days, yeah, we use Expo application services for everything. Uh, usually the production plan for the clients is enough uh, for the builds and the storing of credentials, it's all seamless. So it really helps, makes it also, I would say, safe for the clients that everything is kind of Mm -hmm. living there and not in some local machine of, a, of each developer, you know, because that's a risk, obviously, as well. Uh, so I think EAS is doing an amazing job. It made things so much easier. Uh, they made the builds even faster, I think, with like these M2 machines. Oh, yeah, everything. yeah. But to be honest, it's a bit expensive. It's $4, I think, for a build for the M2. So... I think we 
um, we started to be more aware at our company level also about this so that we don't go like over budgets you know for our clients uh, but to we have also ES update you know like over the air mm -hmm. update which you can use for example for your staging builds like when you don't change any dependencies and native layer uh, and that's basically just like few cents so that works also quite well and then we leave the builds you know like when we have the production release or something like that Yeah, for, for my local tests or for my tutorials, I usually actually use EAS build dash dash local uh, mm -hmm. because I got configured everything here. So it's doing what like uh, EAS would do in the cloud, but locally, and I don't have to be like in the waiting lines and I don't need to pay and it's just running my local build and uh, everything is fine. Actually, in the past, I mean, if you understand what's going on under the hood, it's, it's not too hard what they do. So... For one client uh, I worked for, that must be like six, seven years ago, we set up a Jenkins and then uh, like a build server. And then we had Fastlane do the iOS build. And Fastlane has all these tools to like manage the certificates and even upload to the stores. So it's quite interesting to see what's going on under the hood. And I'm I'm pretty sure Expo might also use Fastlane under the hood for the EAS yeah, build. Yeah, they do. They definitely do. Like if you get error during a build, it's like lots of Fastlane stuff yeah. there. <laughs> Um, but what we also do, because let's say if we have a team of more developers, uh, sometimes when we change a dependency, we do like the dev build, the dev client build. Mm -hmm. And then like we have some notification system, we send the build or the link to our Slack, you know, and then everyone can share this one particular build. They don't have to run each, you know, like ES build local. Yeah, um, that helps. Locally. So that makes it really nice especially for the beginners that come like to react native and maybe their setup is not you know like polished and they get some random android studio or xcode errors so this way i can just share the ipa or dot app or dot apk you know with them they just like put it in the emulator simulator or physical device and the dev client just works for them which is amazing, you know, like you don't have to help junior developer debug <laughs> the whole setup the whole day, you know, you just share the dev build and they are productive uh, straight away. Yeah, yeah, that comes back to uh, Expo having taken really the right steps and making it totally easy to build and share builds uh, today. Which um, now brings me to the last category I wanted to talk with you about uh, in your blog articles you always had a nice little looking ahead section and i want to uh, get this early because you haven't done this i guess for the next year but i would like to ask you for some predictions i mean strv you're definitely uh at the edge of what react native can do as you said with the scansion app you're really pushing the boundaries yet the pump app and also the other apps you've been working on are really really outstanding um, so kudos, of course, to you and the whole team and the whole company for those projects. But you. from your point of view, as being a really senior React Native developer, what's in store for React Native in 2023 or especially 2024? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm actually curious how far we can still like push React Native. Definitely, there is the new architecture, which... I assume 2024 will be like first projects built with that. Definitely not this year, I would say yet, mm -hmm. even though probably someone tells me right now, like I did it, you know, I built with the new architecture. Maybe uh, you can build some smaller apps. 
so I would expect this to bring uh, like lots of change for the whole ecosystem in React Native because um, the library maintainers they have to make a decision. Yeah. Do I you know support the new architecture? Do I keep actually using like the package I just built uh, and have been using for years, or do I go maybe to Expo modules you know which allow you to build with Kotlin and Swift basically probably better experience to build uh, some native package which supports React Native, uh, the new architecture. So I can expect some fragmentation in React Native mm -hmm. world, you know, as we will be transitioning to the new architecture. And hopefully we will see benefits of the new architecture because like we were promised and I see, you know, like it's very powerful, but eventually we have to build an app and see like, uh, what new experiences we can build with that. And with Skia, probably we will get many React Native apps that we would not be able to build previously. Uh, so maybe our mindset of React Native developers will have to change a bit. That it's just not a simple application with React Native. You can build maybe a game, you know, like last year at FJS, someone was sharing some like amazing game they built with Skia you know, like mm -hmm. William Candeleon, he had yeah. this workshop and this guy is showing him, hey, I just built this with Skia. And like, it was amazing, you know, like yeah, game, why not? You know, something that you would use Unity for, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward like uh, where React Native will go. Um, and one other thing which I am awaiting when will happen is like when React Native web will become a bit of a more standard, you know, like with Explorer, Chamagui, it seems like people finally might find the stack that will allow to build like efficiently application for both Android, iOS and the web from one code base. I'm really curious if we will get there. Uh, I'm like a fan of these changes. I see how it makes sense for clients that want to save money, you know, uh, but at this moment, like at STRE, it's not our recommended solution. We would rather go for a monorepo where we build React Web, you know, and React Native uh, for the mobile and share some uh, APIs, theme, and other business logic via monorepo setup. Uh, and I'm looking forward when this will become a new standard like React Native Web. Like people will be building as a default via React Native and having a website and mobile applications, you know, like granted. Yeah, these are perfect, perfect predictions and last words. It's definitely also what I'm looking forward to almost since for years now, just this one solution that works. I mean, uh, as you know, I'm a fan also of Capacitor, which can wrap your web application and you can do native, but it has other drawbacks and uh, it's funny how like React Native was made for targeting native and now we're going back to the web with React Native. So it's, yeah, I think there's a bit of confusion and because there's like React React Native for web and then we have Expo for web and the Expo router now definitely making progress. But on the other hand, then we have Next.js, Mono repositories with Solito and Tamagui. So there's a lot of movement in this. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to talk with you more about the whole uh, Expo router landscape. Maybe we can do this in a follow-up episode because for today, I think we covered already a ton of topics. Um, it was really a pleasure to talk to you, Aaron. And um, it's pretty clear that you and your company are experts in uh, what you're doing with React Native. So 
if the listeners are interested, we're definitely going to bring back Aaron to talk about Expo Route or Mono Repositories. And I think you can share some few stories about that as well. For today, we're going to wrap it up with a quick question round. So I got five quick questions for you that you can uh, most likely answer pretty fast. Are you ready? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> okay, here we, here we go. Question number one, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, all the time. Ah, yes, perfect, <laughs> my man. And Mac or Windows? Oh, it's a Mac, but you know, like the whole career in finance, everything, I was like total Windows user. And then when oh, I yeah. started a programming job, I, I had to learn also using Mac. It was like, oh my God, why I cannot resize the windows, you know, easily and stuff. But now I'm totally sold, like MacBook all the time. Yeah. It's it's funny. My my brother is also a software developer, and he's still on Windows because he really doesn't like Apple. And I'm always like, every developer is using Mac. Just just do it now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's his problem. Anyway, uh, what's your favorite IDE? Uh, VS Code. It has always been. Never had to change it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it I, had someone, I had someone tell me he's using still Sublime or something. That was interesting. Uh, <laughs> Some people's minds are very hard to change, you know. Like. <laughs> oh, that's a hard word. Uh, question number four. What's your um, latest discovered package or library or service, uh, something you stumbled upon? Oh, something new. Um, you know, uh, on most of the projects I worked we had graphql i really liked it you know mm -hmm. like it gives you lots of control uh very nice developer experience and this ascension last project it has a rest api um so i was like thinking how how can i bring uh the graphql developer experience to rest um uh, because you, in graphql you can just go generate like apollo mm -hmm. client hooks or react query hooks uh so actually i found this like amazing package and there are many that do it, but open API code gen open API is basically a YAML file that the backend engineer can maintain about, you know, the API. And then, uh, it gives you basically some source of information from which you can start generating maybe react query hooks, you know, so from rest API, you have this open API YAML file and you can just generate React query hooks, which make your experience so much better as a developer and also make the project maintainable, you know. So if I can recommend something, persuade your dev uh, backend developers to maintain open API YAML and use this open API YAML if you have first API to generate your React query hooks or something, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we're going to definitely put that in a show note. And that's also a topic I had on my list to discuss with you, uh, your thoughts on GraphQL versus uh, REST APIs as you work with both. Um, we're going to save that for uh, another conversation. But I think you also uh, came across this uh, specific package because you've been working with Superbase and they used some code generation for their yeah, stuff, yeah. right? They, they, you can generate types with Superbase. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know if they still do it the same way, but two years back when I had a public talk about Superbase, uh, I remember mentioned they mentioned uh, Open API, so it stuck in my head. And when I started this project, I was like, okay, I have to figure it out because I don't want to write uh, like React query hook for every API we have. And yeah, I would recommend to everyone. 
I don't, I don't know if this is the only thing that stuck with you in, in your head or also if your head was uh, specifically made up from your financial career because I noticed during our conversation that you sometimes brought in snippets or set words that were exactly in the article that I had opened on my other window. Like you had whole sentences in your brain that you probably wrote once about a topic and now like you know exactly those words. So maybe you have like a, a very special brain. Yeah, I, what, uh, usually what I write, I remember. So that, that was always my way how to learn stuff. So that's why I enjoy actually writing articles because it solidifies my knowledge and Yeah, now, now I'm like a parrot, probably repeating my article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to your next articles. Um, we're going to put the link to your blog as well in the show notes. There have been some uh, really helpful plugins. Uh, plug yeah, the, the the guide about writing Expo Config plugins, for example. So uh, please do more of them. They really help. Okay. Last question. What was your latest useful purchase? Um, could be related to tech, but could also be life related. <laughs> related purchase. Um... You know, I really like my new shoes from Echo. You know, I don't know if you know the brand, but Echo has really comfortable shoes. But now I'm thinking, uh, actually with my wife, and she chose it, uh, we bought this conference room table, basically uh. in front of our sofa and in front of our TV, you know. And this conference room table, uh, you can lift it, you know. Uh. So. If you have this bad habit, you are watching Netflix and you want to eat your dinner together there, uh, you can just lift it and it makes it a bit more comfortable, you know, to eat. Uh, definitely it's a bad habit, but makes the experience. Nice. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I have an adjustable desk uh, as well, so I can move up and after this podcast, I can just uh, put my uh, treadmill under it and get more steps. So I'm following STRV in being very healthy. I just worked out this morning right. already. I follow everything from Huberman and now I get my at least 10 or 20k steps uh, on my uh, treadmill under my standing desk. <laughs> well done, Simon. Well done. <laughs> yeah, so if, I, if I'm looking for a job in the future, maybe that, that helps me to or, or uh, shorten the process at strv <laughs> just come visit to prague i guess you're from germany it's not yes. too far so no it's we not we can do a workout together at strv gym oh i look forward yeah. to this yeah we should do we should do a workout and we should definitely record another episode one day about graphql rest uh, expo router expo web and um man i highly enjoyed this conversation like all the podcasts i'm still learning and today i think i learned a ton again Uh, about specific React Native topics. So, Aaron, um, where can people find more about you? About me, probably my personal website, aaronbereskin.com, or on Twitter, it's also Aaron Bereskin, or my GitHub is aaronbe, a bit shorter. So, that's probably the good place where to find me. Or just Google Aaron Bereskin. I don't think there is any other. So you will find at least my website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the problem that Simon Grimm. So actually, my, my, my initial name was Simon Reimler. Then I married my wife and I took her name. But afterwards, I noticed that there's actually a pro wrestler called Simon Grimm. <laughs> that kind of gave me strange search results. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put all your links in the show notes as well. And people can find me at galaxies.dev, where I try to help people get into React Native and always using Expo, of course. Um, we highly bet on that as well on galaxies.dev. Also on YouTube, tutorials coming every week, live streams coming every week, usually. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if this was the first time you listened to Rocketship. So 
Thanks, Aaron, for joining me today. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the conversation and I will catch you next time. Take care. Goodbye.